Welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we are going to be doing our midseason awards. Uh, every team is roughly at 41 games. Uh, obviously, there's a few Canadian teams, I think Calgary specifically, that are like 35 right now and a couple more that are closer to 42, 43. But uh, generally speaking, people are getting to the halfway uh, point here in the season. So we will be breaking down the six major awards that uh, – you know, we can actually kind of have any any say on. Um, obviously, we don't know who is most sportsmanlike or anything like that, which I will uh, contend that it makes it weird that the sports writers vote for it. But uh, nonetheless, there's also a little bit of news to get to uh, before we get into that. A couple signings um, on the personnel and uh, player side as well. And uh, uh, ECHL suspension that uh, we definitely need to talk about too. Um where do you want to start here, Chase? Um, probably with suspension. Yeah, I, I think that is probably the um, uh, best way to go. So um, this, I, I guess this, I'm trying to think of the actual timeline here. If it happened, I guess it technically happened last week and it's taken till this week to get the suspension. Um, but uh in the ECHL last week, there was an incident uh, between a player named Jacob Panetta and uh, Jordan Subban. Um, there was a bit of a, not a line brawl, it was just a bit of a scrum it looked like. And then a gesture was made from Panetta um, that uh, was deemed a racial gesture. Um, and Jordan Subban then went after him, beat him up pretty good in a fight and a line ball ensued. But uh, Panetta had a, not that this really matters, but in a video that Panetta released the next day, he had a shiner in his eye, but, uh, um, basically the gesture, if you haven't seen it, I'm assuming most people have, but, uh, Panetta claims that it was supposed to be a bodybuilder or a tough guy gesture. He was in his, uh, video. Uh, I, I can't really call it an apology video. I don't like, he kind of said, so he said more sorry for what people could have construed my actions of not sorry for my actions. Um, but in the video, he says that he's done this to multiple opponents. It was not a racial thing. Uh, he meant to do the tough guy bodybuilder thing. Um, but the gesture to both uh, Subban and the ref who gave him a match penalty for a racial gesture looked like he was um, doing a monkey gesture instead. Uh, and obviously that is, there's just no place for that in the game. Um, Decision came down today, the ECHL. So he was released from his team about two days after, but uh, the ECHL suspended him for the rest of the 2021-22 season, a.k.a. 38 games. Um, in, this, in their statement, uh, they had he said that he'll have a conditional opportunity to apply to the ECHL for a reduction from the suspension and reinstatement after March 17th, 2022, pending successful completion of learning experience conducted in conjunction with the National Hockey League's Player Inclusion Committee. So basically, it sounds like he's going to have to go through a program, um, uh, you know, an inclusion program. And if he completes that, uh, then after March 17th, he'll be able to uh, reduce the suspension. Uh, I'm, I don't know here, like, the, the consensus, uh, obviously, Chase, we were in a group chat and a couple of us were talking about it. And basically the uh, consensus that we came to was, A, it's not our apology to accept. Uh, that's on Jordan Subban. And whether he feels that it was truly a bodybuilder thing or not. And B, I think regardless of what he was doing, 
at the very least, he needs to have context of how that could look and why it does look so bad. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're responsible for your own actions, whether the intent was pure or not. Yeah, and so obviously, worst case scenario, it's a racist gesture, and there's just no place in the league for that. Best case scenario, and I say this very loosely, is that he did something stupid that obviously wasn't race motivated or whatever. He just wasn't thinking about how it, you know, what it looks like. And the other thing that I will say in this too, because there was a lot of mainstream media rushing to his defense to retweet videos of him doing this gesture at other times to different people who were white. But what I'll say to this is, even if it is the second thing and he meant to do the bodybuilder thing, the fact that a Jordan Subban, the refs and everyone who saw it on first view was just kind of like, Oh yeah, that could be very well a racial thing tells you how prominent this is in the hockey community and why it is not okay. And you know why there is still a massive issue in, in the culture of hockey right now. Yep. Yeah. It says a lot about hockey that that was kind of the snap reaction. And yeah. I mean, rightfully so. Right. Yeah. Like I, I don't think anyone, um, I, I really don't think, uh, like, I don't know. I saw a bunch of people like there was Tracos had an article set or was it Tra- Tracos had a bad article. And then who it, was it that released the one where it was like him being labeled a racist is actually even just as bad, if not worse than being a racist. <laughs> that was Ken Campbell. Yeah. yeah. Like that kind of take is just, we don't need that. And like, I, again, like anyone who saw that and was like, oh, that looks like a racial gesture. Yeah, like, and the ECHL has deemed that it is. So, like, I, again, I, I don't know. Like, I at this point, I think it's fair to say, you know, if that's what they deemed, the ref deemed it was as well. So, you know, that's what we're going to call it. Um, but, you know, at, at the very, the best scenario out of all of this is that it was something that is still, like, still happened so much that the player is so used to it that he had to react to it. And then everyone else seeing it was just like, oh, yeah, that, uh, that could be a racial gesture. Like, it just... None, that's not a good thing either. So the, the best case scenario is still a bad thing in, in this situation, unfortunately, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. And like context matters and it's dumb to pretend that it doesn't like the fact that certain things are okay to say and do in some contexts and not the others shouldn't be new to people. Yeah. So I don't know. It's um, I, I will say I do like, I, I like the idea that um, he needs to, complete uh, um, a learning experience thing with the player inclusion committee before even being able to uh, apply for reinstatement. I think that is something that all leagues should uh, have if they don't already. Yeah, that seems like a cool initiative. Granted, it is the player inclusion committee and they are the same people, I believe, that uh, just refused to partner with the uh, Hockey Diversity Alliance and, uh, you know, so... (laughs) But uh, small steps, so that, but yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say that it's important that we talk about it though, obviously. And, um, you know, I, again, like it just, you, regardless of what you mean, like you just, you need to be more aware. And the, to me, the excuse, how should I know, or I didn't know that was happening is not good enough. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Because again, context matters and it's, it's on you to figure out when things can and can't be said and that's not new 
Yeah, and, and if you didn't know that racial gestures have been happening to players of color in the league or in, in hockey throughout, you know, what your playing days, you should probably open your eyes. Yeah. So um, breaking news here, actually, we got another piece of news. Uh, Evander Kane is looking like he is officially going to be signing a deal in, in Edmonton. Elliot Freeman just broke Kane deal in Edmonton is for 750K in salary, 625 in signing bonus, which means approximately 2.1 cap hit, uh, full, new, full no move clause. Um, I hope Edmonton misses the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's always been like, oh, I, I, I hope good things happen to the, to the Oilers because they have McDavid. And who doesn't want to see McDavid uh, in the playoffs? But at this point, they're a dumb organization who does dumb things, and it's awesome to see them fail. Well, it kind of sounds like he was the one campaigning for this too. Like, and like Zach, yeah. Hyman, Zach Hyman had a quote today about like, oh, if he joins the team, then it'll be a privilege to play with him on the ice. He'll be part of our team or something like that. It was just like, read the room a little bit. Like, yeah. I will say, like, publicly shitting on your boss would be a difficult thing to do. But if there was ever a time for a hockey player to make the stand, it would probably be now. Especially because of, like, you don't even have to care about all the other off-ice social issues with Kane. You could, like, just listen to all the guys in the Sharks who said they hated him in the dressing room. That's all you have to do. It's not even complicated. And I mean, like... I don't know. I feel like there is a way to like, well, and, and again, obviously like if McDavid didn't want this to happen, this signing wouldn't be happening. No, I wouldn't think so. Right. So like, Hey, he does want it. But like, I feel like even if he didn't, there would be a way to like, you don't have to just be like, I don't know what our GM is doing, dude. This guy's an idiot, but <laughs> yeah, there's subtleties and a lot of yeah. nuance. But the, the other thing I will say, I, I think we talked about this at the time. I was shocked at how many people were like flabbergasted that Connor McDavid didn't care about non-off-ice issue and just wants <laughs> to make his team better. Yeah. I don't know what people expect at this point. No. And like, it doesn't make it right by any means. No, like it's still sad. Like I'm sure if you were an Oilers fan, especially say like, like I can see how it would suck, but yeah. And like, like, I don't know. It was just some of the comments like last week or whatever, where it was like, this is a hockey issue. It's like, yes, hockey has a ton of problems, but we are two days removed from Antonio Brown being kicked off of the Buccaneers in which Tom Brady ignored a lot of off field issues for that and brought him in. And like, everyone is praising how smart the Cleveland Browns organization is. Meanwhile, they're, like their big running back duo. One of them got released because he beat the shit out of his girlfriend in an elevator or whatever. Like, yeah, it's, it's just a, a societal issue, not a cultural or yes. like big Ben is being celebrated as a great QB that retired, despite the fact that he has credible sexual assault allegations against. Him. Yes. Like, so, um, and then again, like that does not excuse anything that, you know, is wrong. Like, yes, hockey has a very toxic culture that does need to change, but the people are like, this is a hockey and hockey only thing. It's like, no, no, it's not. But it's, it's a still very new. wide societal issue and it sucks that it shows up in hockey because supports are sports are supposed to be a release from that kind of shit. Absolutely. Um, again, just, uh, you know, tough, tough. We don't like starting the podcast with just being all, I don't even know if it's doom and gloom, but you know, 
Uh, obviously, again, sports is supposed to be get away. We, we try to make the podcast get away, but there's just always stuff that needs to be talked about. I don't, I don't think we would be are doing our due diligence. Even it's not like we have a massive outreach or anything, but to just totally ignore these issues would be uh, uh, wrong, frankly. But yeah, hundred um, percent. Let's move to a little bit more good news, I, I guess. You know, uh, it's kind of hard to transition off of that topic in any way, but. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks made a couple of hirings, uh, including a female assistant GM, uh, Amelie Castonier, I believe is her last name. I apologize because I probably butch- butchered that. Uh, French, it looks like, um, and I am not great at that. But uh, yeah, Jim Rutherford hired her as an assistant GM. She's the first uh, female assistant general manager in the team's history. I don't know how many there have been in the league. I know Anaheim hired one back in 20, uh, female GM back in, assistant GM, sorry, back in 2016. I don't know if there was even one before that, but um, a great, you know, awesome to see. Um, it was pretty funny in her uh, um, introduction. It's like she's got multiple degrees. Here, here's the, she uh, played four years of NCAA Division One hockey at Niagara University. She graduated with a law degree. Uh, from University of Montreal in 2012. Uh, she was also named one of the most 25 most powerful women in hockey by Sportsnet in 2020. Um, when was the last time, uh, like how many times do you see when a, uh, a male gets hired in any GM or assistant GM role that they have any kind of degree that's not just like basic sports management? No, it's usually just he played for us in the 80s. <laughs> yes, and, um, you yeah, know, but so I'm obviously very qualified uh exciting stuff to see uh wish her nothing but the best uh rachel dory was also hired in an analytics role with them um so i i don't know exactly what that pertails but again um you know congrats to both of them and then the the canucks hired a gm as well uh, his um they hired patrick alvin uh who is the 12th general manager manager in franchise history i believe he was an assistant gm for the penguin since november 2020 um it kind of sounds like Jim Rutherford. So he would have worked with Jim Rutherford, I think, then too. Yeah. I, yes. Yes. Because uh, Burke took like over in 2021. Interim right when Rutherford quit too. Yeah. Yes. So he worked with Rutherford. They have a history. Uh, this is definitely more of a <laughs> classic NHL hiring, I would say. Um, not that it's necessarily bad, but, you know, past 16 seasons, director of amateur scouting before he was promoted. Uh, he's the first Swede to become a general manager in the NHL, which I uh, did not know. Um, yeah, that's a fun fact. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it kind of seems like uh, it'll be Rutherford maybe having the final call on things again, kind of like he did in Pittsburgh. But uh, it'll be interesting what way they take this organization because um, they're kind of stuck in between like two paths like obviously they had the disgustingly horrible start to this year but since hiring Boudreaux they've turned it around a little and obviously I don't think they're not as hot of a team as they they looked when they hired Boudreaux but you know they're still saying all that they've slipped down to three four and three in their last 10 again they're 41 points in 42 games so they're well outside of a playoff spot like I think they're five they're five points out of a playoff spot but they have more game they've more games played than just about any team that they're chasing like the oilers have six less games played than them so do the flames uh, the sharks have one more so they're um they're definitely a long shot to make playoffs it would be a polite way to put it but they're in the mix quote unquote i guess if you want to call it 
I don't know what they do here. I really don't. Just hope to salvage Pedersen's season, basically. Yeah, and he has been turning around lately, at least more than uh, the start of the season. Yeah, like that. At this point, that's all that really matters out of this season. Because if, as long as Pedersen's not broken, you still have something to go with going forward. Your franchise superstar. But uh, if <laughs> if Pedersen doesn't take strides, that is a huge concern. Yeah, and it it sounds bad, but like. If the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, which it should be for every organization, they almost need to hit the reset button again. Yeah, or they just need to get lucky and draft like Pasternak 26th overall style thing. Yeah, really lucky. Bank on that or like Kucherov in the second round or whatever, but I don't really know where this comes from. They, They were just left in such a horrible cap situation. Yeah, and it just kind of makes it so like even like the high end of this team just kind of feels like they're going to be at best the 13th or 14th best team in the league if they make some smart moves and then maybe get the second round once and then lose like they did two years ago in the bubble. Yep, that's that seems to be the pace they're on. So I don't really know how to fix that. I don't get like. Because no one's statement now. Maybe the only thing you can hope is that you can somehow swindle a team into taking the last two years of Tyler Myers. I don't think it'll happen, but I've had the exact same conversations with Nikita Zaitsev today uh, on Sense Twitter because for some reason Sense Twitter is now they signed the Sense signed Nick Holden to a one-year, one point three million dollar contract. Fine with it in a vacuum. I my concern was they have a lot of guys already now under contract for next year, and I feel like Branchum somehow going to get squeezed out or traded. Um, People were like, well, no, they're just going to like buy out Zaitsev. It's like, where do you think this team's getting money to buy out Zaitsev? And like, what team do you think is taking him in a trade? But then again, Cody CC just signed a $12 million deal this year. So could you move Tyler Myers $12 million left on his contract or Nikita Zaitsev's $9 million or whatever? Maybe, but like for Vancouver getting back on track here, you basically have to, I would almost buy out Tucker Pullman. Yeah, or you just sit on it because there's only two point five. I guess. Yeah, trade like you have to find a trading partner for Tyler Myers. And like zero dollars in projected cap space. Yeah, like it's just so bad. Yeah, or you just sit for a year, take the L, burn another year. I think it's. I think it's clear they're definitely going to take a couple years here. Yep. It would not shock me if it's like a Ken Holland situation where they went to ownership and they were like, look, when we get Tyler Myers, JT Miller, sorry, sorry, in, in two and a half years from now, Pearson, Dickinson, Myers, uh, they'll all be off the books. Yes, Patterson will need a new deal, but like hopefully some of the bad money will be out by then. That's when we're going to really try to make the changes. Horvat will be up by then. So like, the Horvat's got one more year left after this one. I'm really and Miller and Miller. Yep. And Besser's up this year as an RFA. What do you do with those guys? Because if you're not planning on being good for another two or three years, they're going to be 28, 29 before you really try to be good again. How much money do you want them making? If you're turning the corner at that point, you probably have to hope that Hoglander and Pazolskin can carry that load. Yeah, like, and I, I get you. He's reasonable enough. They've both been good, but still. 
Yeah. And again, you can have some veterans on the team, but like even Pedersen is going to be like 26 by the, if you're, if you have a three-year plan and that's when you, you want to be really good again or like getting good again and like a legitimate like playoffs or bust, like Pedersen's going to be 26 by that point if that's a three-year plan. Yep. Now you've wasted what could be, could have been his prime. Yeah. Very, so very I don't know what you do here. And like Besser would be 27, 28. Like I don't, I think Miller is out this deadline, maybe the off season, they can't get a deadline cap space done, but. He seems like the perfect guy to trade with two years out and get an absolute haul for him. At the deadline. Yeah. Uh, first and a good prospect. Cause you're getting a year and a half of them, not just a year. They could eat salary on that too, a little bit. Like, I know yeah. they don't have much cap space, but if you're going to be bad anyways, like, why not? Yeah, by um, the deadline. Fine. Yeah, they're getting crushed with injuries here, too. That's been a big part of their slide. Demko and Halak are both out. So right now, Michael DiPietro and Spencer Martin are playing. Horvat's um, yeah. hurt as well, and Connor Garland. So. Well, because his team's so bad, they're so dependent on Demko. And him yeah, so. that's a death sentence. Yeah, I don't know what they do here, but uh, some interesting hirings nonetheless. It's good to see at least one out of the uh, one outside the box uh, hiring in an AGM, and hopefully that goes a little further for her as well. So um, that's always good. Uh, I mentioned the Holden signing. I don't unless you want to talk about it. I don't really need to talk about it. Um, I don't care about Nick Holden to be honest. Fine, I think it's a fine signing. He's a fine depth defenseman, and that should be his role five, six, maybe even a seven next year. Um, again, I'll, if anyone wants to hear my thoughts on it, I'll probably be recording a podcast next week for the Sens, and uh, it'll be on that. But uh, one we can discuss, because I, I have a feeling as a Pens fan, you might be a little more interested in this one. Uh, Jeff Carter signs a two-year deal at 3.125 with a full no-move clause for his year 38 and 39 season. What? Is it? Was it Nathan who put it in the group chat when this got put in where he was like, I thought Jim Rutherford left Pittsburgh. <laughs> I, I can't remember who, but yes, I, I think it might've been. Yeah. Like this, this is a vintage Jim Rutherford signing. I get he has 26 points in 36 games this year, but what are you doing signing a guy who's going to be 38 and 39 half a year in advance and a full no move clause on top of it. Yeah. And like maybe like, the agreement is kind of just like, oh, but no, if he, re- it's a plus 35 contract. It's so if fair. He retires, yeah, you can't do anything with it. Because if he retires, it's still on your cap, right? Yep. So I don't, I don't understand this. Like, and I heard someone being like, well, if Malkin walks this year, he's your 2C. It's like, that's not the the brag you think it is. Your team's dead <laughs> if Malkin walks and Jeff Carter's your 2C. Yeah, like... And like again, he's having a fine year. Like it's not like he's like he's got twenty six points in thirty six games in a vacuum. That's fine for three point one million dollars, but age curves are a thing. Come on. Yeah, and it's not like he's been driving play exceptionally well, and he's just getting PDO'd or anything. Like this point base is the absolute highest variance outcome for him already, and he's just getting older and worse. Yeah, like all of his uh, five-on-five RAPM metrics are negative, except for expected goals four and Corsi four on the power play, not on five-on-five, 92 yeah. minutes of power play time. So, yeah, that's like, do you really need a power play specialist when your team lives and dies with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang? Yeah, like, no, you probably don't. So, 
Uh, yeah, this one was one where I, I saw it come across. I was like, that seems like a lot. And then the more I looked into it, I was like, what on earth is happening here? Because like the full no move clause means that even if he sucks, you you can't get away from it. Yep. Yeah, you're married to him now. So it's, it's literally, it's one of those deals where even if it works out and it doesn't hurt you, it doesn't mean it was smart to bet on a dude who's 38 and 39. Like if Jeff Carter is even putting up 35 points in his 39-year-old season, that does not make this deal smart. No. So, uh, man, I don't know. That was one I just couldn't believe. I didn't realize how old Jeff Carter was until I know, right? I was uh, going to rep my – I have an LA Kings all-star jersey with Jeff Carter on the back. I was going to rep that with a pen tat I got today for the podcast, but it doesn't matter because there's no camera anyways. But, True. Um, I, okay, I think that's enough unless you want to rip on the pens a little more. No, I'm good with it. Okay, um, let's get to our awards then. We got six awards here. Uh, this will probably take a bulk of the rest of the episode, but I got uh, another round of where are they now if it doesn't. Um, this was fun. I, I didn't put, uh, I, I feel like I maybe put a little less time in this other past days than I uh, have in other times. I thought maybe I was going to have a little off time to do it today, and I did not uh, at all. Um, so do you want to start with the heart, the biggest one? Yeah, go big or go home. All right, let's start from three and go to one. Uh, honorable mentions if you have them too. Uh, but let's go three to one, then we'll, you know, we'll do our winner last. On my honorable mentions, I have a couple of wingers who play in the Pacific Division that have been absolutely freaking amazing. I have Johnny Goudreau and Timo Meyer. Goudreau is on my ballot. He is number three. Uh, Timo Meyer is another good one, though. Um, I, uh, I didn't really break down any honorable mentions. I guess one I was going to uh, – I was considering putting down just all the Colorado guys uh, as, as a bit of a cheat because Miko Rantanen right now leads the league in goals above replacement. Kadri's third. Um, I think McKinnon, even with as much time as he missed, is like top 20 as well. Um, so that, that was kind of my thing. And then also – um, because we're just doing it, like, I don't know how you did this. I did it just up to this point. I wasn't really projecting forward. No. Okay. If yeah. I were projecting forward, like, I don't have McDavid on my list. McDavid Me either. But I was I was going to throw McDavid as an honorable mention because he slipped a recent, little bit recently. But that team is still just so dead in the water without him or Dreisaitl. Yeah. Well, it goes to show, right? Like, people say things like, oh, McDavid's just a slam dunk MVP every year. It's like, he's, he's great, but... He's not exactly – he hasn't been far and away the best player in the league this year. Yeah, exactly. He's still Connor McDavid. He's still the most likely player to be the best in the league next year and everything like that, but shit happens in any given season. Absolutely. Uh, Timo Meyer's a fun one, though. I, I like that. We don't have to too long on the honorable mentions, but um, I'm assuming it's kind of – he's second in goals above replacement for evolving hockey right now. I'm assuming it's kind of along that lines of him just having a, a dominant season on a team that we thought would kind of suck. Yeah, he's been a monster. I read, um, I think it was Dimitri tweeted it. That got, He got me looking into this for Meyer. That the Sharks have more goals with Hurdle and Meyer on the ice ju- with just that combo on the ice than when the rest of the team is on the ice combined. Oh, man, that is insane. I mean, that doesn't shock me. I couldn't tell you a single bottom six player for San Jose probably. But. No, I have no clue. But, yeah, that, that's a good one too. Uh, and then Goudreau's the other one I mentioned. I had him third. Um, I was debating Kachuk's had a really good year too, and I think they've been playing together, so that kind of makes sense. But uh, I could go third just because he is currently sixth 
in uh, goals above replacement. Um, the reason I was looking at him and Kachuk is when I went to uh, individual expected goals uh, for evolving hockey, uh, Matthew Kachuk is fourth right now with 19.88. Um, but uh, I don't believe, uh, where was it? And all these stats written down. Um, all right. Well, I can't even find where I put down uh, um, Goudreau, but he's having a phenomenal year as well. Um, he's driving play at a, at a, a great rate and uh, he's up there in points as well, too. I, I'm just trying to pull up. I have the rookie scoring leader out because that's what I was doing before this, but I think he's like top 15. He's sixth in points, 51 points in 38 games. So driving play, he's just doing everything for a Calgary team that is right now technically on the edge of the playoffs. But again, I thought they could have been dead in the water and he is having another career year. Yeah, hundred percent at the perfect time in the contract year and everything. And it's just, it's just so clear. Like the has been great, but in terms of offensive game breakers, like it's Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, he just no one the one who gets Calgary. it done. Uh, yep. Who do you have at three? At three, I have Miko Rantanen. That's a fair one. I, he has been unreal this year, and again, he was on my honorable mentions. I just my thing from holding him back from the top three versus like four was. His team is so good. And I don't know if it's fair to punish him for that or not, but like he has so many. And even just like when Kadri was playing with them, like if Kadri's your center, that obviously it's stepped down, a big step down from McKinnon, but it's not that bad. So that's why I had him on the bubble instead. Yeah, that's more than fair. And like him being first in goals above replacement is probably a little sus to people, but like regression models have loved this guy for years. And I think it's probably more causal that Rantanen's lifting Kadri than the mm-hmm. other way around. For like sure. Kadri hasn't, Kadri never even showed anything close to this in Toronto in his prime. Like even on, he had the one lockout shortened year where he had insane like points per 60 and stuff, but Kadri has never sustained this over a full season. So I think Rantanen deserves, deserves a ton of credit there and just give it to a great player on a great team. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's totally fair. Who do you have a two? I had uh, Austin Matthews. Ooh, okay. I, I didn't actually have Matthews in my top three. He was another one I was definitely considering. Um, you, you give me your Matthews, I'll tell you I have two. Who I have right. two, so With Matthews, he's the best goal scorer in the NHL. Uh, I don't think that's probably in terms – or the most efficient goal scorer in the NHL anyways. I don't know. His, uh, his raw totals relative to everybody in the past little bit. But plus now he's like a Selkie level defensive player. And it's just very clear that I don't think the Leafs would be garbage without him, but there's just something completely different about Austin Matthews every time he steps on the ice. So I had him too in the heart voting. Yeah, I think he has real potential if they keep this bunting Matthews. Uh, is it Kasha that's playing with him now? They just changed their lines. Yeah, if they, because it was the talk of all week for the Leafs uh, radio. But if they keep those three together and he just keeps putting up like a 50-goal pace with those two on his wing, I think he could get a lot of love as well. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. Like, Because he's always played with Marner or Nylander, but they feel comfortable just playing him with whoever because at this point, he's Austin fucking Matthews and and he's just going to win no matter who's with him. Yeah, he's an amazing player. Like, I, I think it's – people laugh still. And I mean, I also obviously have hardcore into Senators Twitter, so they, you know, there's obviously bias there. But I think it's undisputed that Matthews is the second-best player in the world now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's that close. People love McKinnon. 
Uh, McKinnon has the advantage of not playing in a huge market, so people don't see his flaws. They just see the cool stuff, whereas Austin Matthews is just so much more complete and probably better offensively at this point, too. Yeah, well, people are like, yeah, well, Matthews doesn't do anything in the playoffs. Like, McKinnon hasn't made it out of the second round yet. Yeah, exactly. It's not like McKinnon's got a con Smythe behind him or whatever. My number two was Alex Ovechkin. Uh, not a fancy stack guy at all, but uh, his, his raw numbers have just been so good this year where I just, like, I, I know that uh, he doesn't drive play. He has not done that for a couple of years, but his individual expected goals, 22.62. Um, that's the most in the league. He's ahead of Connor McDavid. Uh, this is from Evolving Hockey. Uh, he's ahead of Connor McDavid, you know, Dreisaitl, Matthews. Um, and then he's got, he's got 29 goals and 29 assists, you know, 58 points in 44 games, one point behind Dreisaitl. Now, granted, he has more games played than Dreisaitl. Um, I'm assuming, and even McDavid, like I'm assuming he'll probably points per game. He's probably closer to fifth or sixth, but um, you know, a lot of it's on the power play still for sure. But he's also scoring like uh, when I was watching him, like the, the sends, it's funny people someone posted his power play goal since like 2011 and it was all just the left side but he's scoring a five yeah. five at a different rate too right like he had a couple from in front of the net he's just um he's not it's not just him but uh he is definitely a big reason that the capitals are undisputedly in a playoff spot in the east and uh they're fourth in their division right now but i i don't think that's at fault of ovi no 100 it's cool to see his renaissance Although at this point, I feel like Ovi versus like a Matthews, like Matthews just is Ovi, except for everything that Ovi's bad at relative to top tier players. Matthews is like a top three in the world at it. Yeah, it's very clear that Ovi is just never going to drive play again. Yeah. Like, but as long as you know that and use that appropriately, I don't think that should be like a massive concern for the Capitals because he still does the best thing. Like, the, the one reason that I think Matthews still has like, or that you like Matthews is clear is because the thing you can always fall back on with Ovechkin is he does one thing better than anyone has that we've seen in the world. And that's put goals in. Yeah, but, literally ever. Yeah. But Austin Matthews also does that at just an insane rate year after year, especially five on five. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we could win a Selkie. Yeah, exactly. So um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, he's having an amazing year. I, I wouldn't, I think I would expect if he, especially if he keep like if he finishes with 110 points this year, I would assume he will be probably on people's heart ballots at the end of the year. I think the way things are going, I don't know if I would have him on mine at the end of the year, but through 40, 40-ish games, uh, he was second for me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And like another thing, there's importance to his team, right? There's not a, a lot around OV at this point. And like it's, how much of Kuznetsov's revival is Ovi. Exactly. And like, he's been, you know, like Backstrom was hurt for the first two months of the season as well. Right. So yeah, um, yeah no, it's, it's been, and, and that's again, like, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to guys like Matthews or Rantanen, but they are definitely surrounded by a much better supporting cast, generally speaking. And, and even you just look at the defensemen, like Rantanen's getting the puck fed from Devon Taves and uh, Kale McCarr, Sam Gerrard, right? Like, John Carlson's great, but he's not those guys anymore. Yeah, exactly. He he probably had his day, but it's that is gone at this point. Yeah, and then even after that, it's not like there's a, just a murderer's row of people on that Washington decor. So, no, not even close. Uh, all right, I think we might have the same person in first year. I'm curious though, who do you have? 
I have Shesterkin. Yes, we do. Yeah. I uh, I don't know if people you, listen, you usually don't have goalies. Well. I was just about to say, if people listen to this podcast know that I am very. I usually do not put a goalie on because I think a goalie should win every year. If uh, that's it, but he is having a year where I can't. I could not. I, like, there's just no way I couldn't put him on. Yeah, like the this, Rangers suck. They they're horrible. This is they, like. What Hellebuck did for the past couple of years for the Jets, except instead of being a fringe wildcard team, they're leading their division right now. Yeah, like how the fuck did the Rangers have multiple years with like a 45% XG and Lundquist carrying them to relevance? And then after Lundquist, they get this. They it are doesn't dead. 937 on one of the worst play driving teams in the league. The worst. They are dead last. Expecting are they dead last? And Corsi Ford, because that's exactly what I pulled it up when I was checking, because they've just been signed down. They're worse than Buffalo. They're worse than Montreal. They're worse than Arizona, Columbus, and Chicago are the next five teams right above them in expected goals. And they're worse than all of them. And this team is leading their division right now, because thanks to Chesterkin, Kreider shooting like 23%, and Adam Fox is still very, very, very good at hockey. Yep, they have like a handful of players. That's it. Yep, and I'll throw Panarin in there too, even though Panarin hasn't driven play very well this year, but he still has enough shooting talent that he is 14th in the league in points. Yeah, yeah. But, Panarin's got that kind of cane, cane level talent where even if he can't drive play, the goals are going to go in for him, especially in the power play. Yeah, but like Shesterkin has just been unbelievable. Um, and, you know, I, I guess in saying that, let's just get right to the Vesna because I'm assuming if he's our heart winner, he's got to be the Vesna winner too, right? So I have him on as well. You do too. Uh, let's go down, I guess, down for this one. Uh, who did you have a two for the heart? Or for the heart, the Vesna? This felt gross, but I had Freddie. I had him three. I had a, It was a coin flip between I had Soros two, Freddie three, and I could hear an argument either way. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. They're both been fantastic it angers me that freddie's been this good but of course he has <laughs> yeah uh I, the reason i bumped uh, freddie to three uh over saros uh he so saros is second in goal saved above average at 17.58 uh he, ha- he is sixth in goal saved above expected at 12.91 freddie is second in goal saved above expected 19.78 and seventh in goal saved above average at 12.46. So they're very similar. Uh, the things are flipped. By the way, if anyone's curious, Shesterkin's first in both metrics with 21 in both. Um, the reason I put Soros ahead of uh, Anderson personally is because even with these metrics, I do still think there is a team effect a little bit into them. Um, and by that, I mean, oh, like, there's absolutely going to be a team effect there, right? Right. And so, like, this Carolina team is really, really good still. And this Nashville team is not very good. Um, you know, even with like a Duchesne revival this year uh, in terms of a points points percentage and everything, this team is not that good. So Saros carrying this team to a playoff spot right now is uh, just a little more impressive than what Anderson's doing, even though Anderson's is very, very impressive as well. Yeah, Freddie's Freddie's been great. So has Saros. Although the Twins... Like uh, our APM model loves Nashville defensively. I like haven't watched enough Nashville games to have an intelligent opinion on their five on five defense, but for whatever reason, they do really love the Preds D. And maybe, maybe they're just playing more of like a shutdown uh, style of game. I'm just trying to look it up. I mean, Classic. 
granted, like they are fourth in like the, they live up the fourth least expected goals against for 60. It's pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm not giving enough credit there. Maybe I should flip them. Carolina is shocking at 26. Really? A, that shouldn't surprise. Maybe that shouldn't surprise you. Carolina does play a very back and forth game now. Yeah. But Carolina's really also, Carolina looks like they're a lot more, they let up a lot more quality over quantity right now because they're third least in the course against per 60. Yeah, so the Predators are doing, maybe, maybe I should have this uh, swap this a little bit, but I, I think they're they're my two and three. Did you have Saros at three or do you have someone else? I had Saros at five and John Gibson at three. I had Gibson at four. He was my honorable mention. He Anaheim slipped a little bit, but they that hot start they were off to was a large amount because he was looking a lot more like Pete Gibson. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like. Troy Terry has been great and like Zegras has been flashy and everything. They're getting a lot of the credit, but this is just, it reminds me of the Minnesota wild last year where everybody was like, Oh my God. Cause he'll crap. Kaprizov made this team relevant. It's like, no good goaltending made this team relevant. Yes. At 100%. Uh, uh, yeah. Gibson ranks third in uh, evolving hockey's goals saved above expected or sorry. Fourth. Interestingly enough, third is Billy Huso. In the St. Louis Blues, in 13 games, he's got 16 goals saved above expected. I noticed that when preparing for this, and I was like, I haven't heard that name in so long. Me either, because they just keep going back to Bennington. That's an interesting one, though. Really yeah. interesting. Um, some of the names that you know we didn't have, uh, Tristan Jari was another name I kind of considered. He's having a really good year. Uh, Bobrovsky was one who obviously started hot and then went really cold and then kind of found his game again. So he is in the top five, but uh, um, I think some normal names that, you know, might get more love on a casual ballot ballot would be obviously Vasilevsky. Uh, Markstrom is another one with all his shutouts that he has. Uh, and yeah. Jack Campbell would have been, I think, up there closer to where, you know, Freddie and, and Gibson were, but he has really struggled over the past two weeks or so. Yeah. My first note on this was just rip Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell's literally bit like, I love the guy. He's a great goalie and everything, but. People have literally decided the Leafs have, are fundamentally broken because of how bad he's been in the past two weeks. He's literally, like I tweeted, I think, last week. He, I was like, no, like, I was like, yes, like the Leafs could add some stuff at the deadline, but they probably don't need four pieces. like I, Or like they don't need two top six forward and two top four defensemen, like I've seen people suggest. They just need Jack Campbell to not have an 882 like he does. Or I think it was an 860 like he did over the past 12 periods of the time of writing that. And I don't think it's gone too much up. Like I'm pretty sure he had an 889 the other night and 890 as well. Like he's just been not good at all the past couple of weeks. Oh, he's been horrible. I was really happy uh, last night recording this right after the Anaheim game. <laughs> they didn't choke another lead. lead. Well, that and even even though they still won, usually people would still be freaking out because they blew their third three one lead in a week or whatever. But like everybody was level headed, like, oh yeah, they absolutely freaking deny <laughs> annihilated this team. And, yeah, they dominated. Uh, they were doubling up in shots. Like it was like forty five yeah. to twenty two. I think they literally bullied them. Yeah. So, um, all right, let's move on to the next one. Let's go to the Norris here. Uh, I think this is, to me, this is the third biggest award of the three, or like the, this is the big three. Uh, yeah. Who did you have at three? Oh, honorable mentions, if you had any first, I guess. Uh, a couple shout outs. Ekblad bounced back after an injury last season. Charlie mm -hmm. McAvoy, who I always love, and Chris Letang still doing his thing in Pittsburgh. 
Chris Letang was my uh, number four honorable mention. He has really, really had a good year. Like even bad, like he, I think he's been underrated the past couple of years because he just frankly hasn't been able to stay healthy and health is obviously very important. Um, but he is really having a good season this year. Like really good. I think he is, uh, um, I want to say top five among all defensemen in uh, goals above replacement. Maybe not quite yeah. there, but he, he, he's, he's per game. yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe it's top five. It was, over top five in points. Um, but yeah, he is having a really strong season. Another one I want to give love to, I, I didn't actually have him on my Norris ballot or anything, but Thomas Shabbat is having a, a phenomenal season. Second in goals above replacement. And I want to say he's pretty high up there in uh, points as well. So I didn't quite have him on my ballot, but uh, I would, uh, wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't give at least a shout out to my guy. Yeah, that's it's been cool to see. I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or if it was in person, but like, with Ottawa, they've been bad and like four players have been good. But if you could pick out the ideal four players to have been good, <laughs> they basically got that exact outcome. Literally, it's like, and it, like I don't want to get too dying off track here, but it's Shabbat has been amazing. There's your number one defenseman. Tim Stutzler has looked so good since moving to center and has like actively become good at defense, which again, you can be a little worried because that's not as repeatable, but it's been something he openly said, yeah, I want to work on this year. And it's been, you've shown it. Josh Norris has been amazing. Drake Batherson has been amazing. And Brady Kachuk has also been very, very, very good. You know? Yeah. Like it's the exact names who you would want. Exactly. So um, yeah, I I didn't have him on my ballot either. Um, Who did you have at three? I think it's a pretty clear top three from what I understand on Twitter and just generally seeing them play and their statistics at three. I had Adam Fox. I had him at two. I might have a different one than the very obvious top three you're talking about here, but okay, you probably do. I have two for sure. I think, but uh, yeah, I, I had Fox at number two. He could be the winner again this year and it would not shock me. He's unreal. Like, as much the only hold, hold back I had of maybe not making Shesterk in my heart winner was just because like Fox is 46 points in 43 games and is one of the best defensemen in the league again this year. Like he's he's sixth in goals above replacement on a team that is really just horrible when it comes to play driving, too. Um, he yep. is one of the few and guys who are actually good at it. Yeah, and everything's crumbled around him, and his numbers are still fantastic. Yeah, so um I had him at two. I could absolutely put him at three or one even. Uh, you know, why, why did you have him at three? Um, I mean, he's been amazing at five on five. I had him right behind Victor Hedman, which is still a huge compliment because it's Victor freaking Hedman. Uh, I think some of the fancies like Fox a little more than Hedman, like the goals above replacement stuff, but Hedman has been the better five on five play driver, which I tend to value a little more for defensemen, whereas Fox has been more dominant on the power play. Yep, that's definitely fair. Uh, Hedman's one I, I I didn't have on. He was on the edge of mine. I think he was top five, top five, top six-ish there. Like, he would have been um, right behind Latang for me, I think. Maybe even ahead of Latang. He could probably be four. Um, his isolated impact isn't as strong, Hedman's, this year. But obviously, he's uh, um, 11th like from in... from Hockey Biz? Uh, yeah, from Hockey Biz. Yeah, so that'll use priors. So that'll still be killing That him. makes more sense, yeah. Um, he's, he's 11th in... Um, Goals above replacement for uh, evolving hockey, which uh, is again very very solid, uh, and I believe he is pretty high up in actual like defense as well. 
Uh, yeah, he's been just an amazing player. Oddly enough, his whole life is like on ice goals numbers have outperformed his underlying numbers for obvious reasons because he plays in Tampa Bay, but the opposite's been true this year. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, he's having a year where it's like, you know, last year, was it last year for a while he was, or two years ago where he was getting, I think it was last year where he was getting a lot of the talk for the Norris winner. It's like, this dude does not freaking deserve a Norris trophy this year. Not even close. Well, the funniest was like, People were using it as some sort of analytics don't work because the models were low on Victor Hedman, whereas anyone who paid attention was fully aware that he was injured. So if anything, it was proof that we were able to detect that. Yeah, exactly. Like they were like, no, no, he's not injured. Then he got three surgeries immediately after winning the cup. Like, yep. but yeah, like it, it, last year, it would have been, if he would have won, it would have been an atrocity. But like this year, if he wins, I'd be like, yeah, that's that, that's fine. He is one of the that best four or five defensemen in the league. Um, so you had him two then. I had Yossi three. Ooh, Yossi's a good one. Yeah, so he's that one that is he's been another big part, obviously, with Soros, but he's been another big part of this Nashville revival. Uh again, he's he hasn't been a negative on defense, but he uh, most of his value definitely comes from the offensive side of things. Uh, yeah, he's be, a winger. <laughs> yeah, you, you would be shocked to uh, shocked to hear that, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, no, he is having a phenomenal season. He's third in defensive points, 43 and 42 games. And again, the, what's a little more impressive for him is he's doing this with obviously Matt Duchesne's having a good year, but it's not like that national team is absolutely stacked with uh, shooting talent. You know, Philip Forsberg is a good player. I wouldn't even call him an amazing player anymore. Um and then you run, uh, you start to run out of names pretty quickly. Whereas Hedman, the guys ahead of him in points right now is Hedman, who obviously plays on Tampa Bay, uh, and Fox, who plays on New York with that disgusting power play. And then a couple of the guys behind him are McCarr, who, again, pretty self-explanatory, and then uh, Latang and Riley as well, right? So he's right in the mix of a lot of guys. The difference is a lot of the guys around him also have very, very high offensive teams or skilled players around them. Uh, Roman Yossi, a lot less so. Yeah, he's basically in a wasteland by himself. Yeah, so. That's why they use him like a winger. Exactly, 100%. Uh, I'm very curious to see who you have number one here then. Well, I have Kel McCarr. I have a different Colorado defenseman. You have Devon Taves. I have Devon Taves. That's a fun one. He has been so good. I mean, Kale McCarr has too, don't get me wrong. Um, I think the one thing maybe you could argue with doing this right now with Taves is that if you're doing only for halfway through the season, he's missed 10 games, so he's missed a quarter of the season. Um, yeah. He's got 30 games played, but he's got 30 games played, which is uh, six less than Shabbat, who's second, seven less than Krug, who's in third right now, uh, 12 less than Ekblad, who's in fourth for goals over replacement, and he's still first. He's got 11.8 goals above replacement, according to Evolving Hockey. Um, he, he does a spread out like he's got. He's uh, great at even strength offense. Uh, he is, I think... He ranks 16th among all defensemen in even strength defense. Uh, and, he, you know, his, his power play is great. His shorthanded is, is great as well. Like, he's just an all-around amazing defenseman. And, um, you know, anytime you watch him, he doesn't do anything super flashy like Kale McCarr does. But he's just like the ability to have another guy to break it out of the zone as easy as he does is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's the reason I have him number one um, for right now. 
Yeah, I respect that. Watching him reminds me of like Patrice Bergeron for defensemen, where like you understand there are more effective overall players, but he's like literally perfect. Yes, like he just does everything so well. He's not yeah, the like, best at any one thing, but he is like top 10 in all of it. Yeah, like you're not concerned if he's on your power play. You're not concerned if he's taking defensive zone starts with a minute to go. You're not concerned if he's running your breakout or breaking the puck in. Like he just so clearly does everything well. Yeah, and, and he's another one where I think that um, by the end of the year, I could see McCarr taking it, overtake him even in my ballot. But just for through 41 games, the fact that he has been this good and he hasn't even been able to play all of them is just uh, insane to me. Yeah, that is nuts. Whole Colorado decor is insane. They're both over a point per game. It's really, it's disgusting, isn't it? Like, and yeah, and that's the other thing too. It's just like, um, Taves has 32 points in 30 games. And then you're Scott McCarr with 41 and 37. And it's like, oh yeah, you also have that Bowen Byram kid. And also Sam Gerrard is 26th in defensive scoring with 24 and 39. It's like, if this team doesn't win a cup in the next year or two, I just, I, I won't understand how. Yeah, like if, if Bram's good, they could have five number one defensemen. Like, and that's not an exaggeration. How stupid is that? That is oh, insane. Yeah. Uh, you go down, like, uh, obviously, I think everyone knows who Gail McCarr is at this time, uh, at this point. But uh, um, why is he number one on your ballot so far? Yeah, I mean, just, like, he scored 17 goals as a defenseman. He has good defensive numbers while doing it. He's clearly, like has the potential to be Eric Carlson like for this generation. Like he's God's gift to the defensive position, basically. Like just watch him skate, everything he does. It's Kale freaking Makar. Yeah, exactly. He it's just he's he's amazing. And it's it feels like it now we always say this and I feel like it gets voter fatigue anyways, but it really does feel like at least analytically, we're getting in this area where you know it was kind of like Carlson and then Subban was there and Headman. It was kind of like the same four or five guys jockeying back and forth. It feels like we're entering an age where it's going to be like Fox and Makar. And then a wild McAvoy will be up there as well. You know, you'll get an unreal year from someone like Devon Taves or something like that. Slavin might be in the mix, but it's going to be those two that are just like for the next five years, just dominating the top of analytical charts and probably Norris charts too. A hundred percent. Um, all right, three more awards. These are definitely smaller. Uh, let's do the Jack Adams first. I think our list could be a lot different than what uh, a lot of people have granted. So I, I don't know if you saw. So the reason I, I came up with the idea, and I, I wish I would have been able to pull up the whole article, but NHL.com did their award voting, and that's why I wanted to do ours. And uh, at the end of the year, we compared to what was actually voted. I kind of thought we could do that today, but I, I didn't uh, bring it up, so it doesn't really matter. Um, the uh, the top three coach of the year candidates voted on by NHL.com. You'll never guess what the uh, uh, coincidence with them is or the the link with them is, I, I, I shall say. Perfectly correlated with goals saved above expected? Yes, it is. Yep, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was, um, uh, yeah, it was Gallant with the Rangers, who Shesterkin has won, Rod Brindamore with the um, Canes, and guess who's two, and then um, I think it was Eakins at three. That's who's, that's still who's in Anaheim, right? 
Yeah. yeah, and Gibson was three at the time. I think it's Billy Huso now, but um, yeah, so it's it's top three, uh, top three goalies. And again, like, give me a good coach, I'll give you a good goalie. It is very um, obviously like no one is going to be a coach of the year if they have bad goaltending because it's just they're not there in the standings, right? But um, yeah. so I, I tried to avoid just staring at the goaltending, you know, like I tried to actively do like who, who's controlling play and stuff like that too at a good degree. Um, so I'll start with mine. I had a couple honorable mentions as well. Uh, I had um, uh, Bruce Cassidy with my honorable mention. Uh, the Boston Bruins are obviously not playing at uh, uh, point pace that we're used to them playing, but they're still fifth in Corsi four percentage and they are worst in XG, aren't they? Uh, I think, oh, sorry, I'm going, I'm going like, uh, per 60 here uh, for XG. I was wondering there. Uh, they are first in expected goals percentage, yes. Um, so, like, they're they're playing very well. They weren't getting the goaltending for a while. At some point, they still aren't. But, um, again, like to what we just said on the opposite end, I don't really know what Bruce Cassidy is supposed to be doing if his team is playing that well. Like, I, I don't he can't go strap the pads on, you know? Yeah, it's not his fault. Olmark has been pretty bad. Yeah, and Rask has been actively brutal since he's come back in. So, yeah. But like, even like they they're letting up the least amount of course against per sixty and the least amount of expected goals against per sixty. They're literally like the best defensive team in the match uh, in the league in terms of these metrics, and they just haven't got the goaltending. So it's like I, I could I I would even have him. I think you could argue him even being farther up the ballot, but uh, at the very least, he is honorable mention for me. Oh, yeah, you could easily have them on the list. I did not either, but it would definitely make some sense. Uh, did you have any honorable mentions here? I had three just kind of all together, Bednar, Keefe, and Coop, John Cooper. You could put any of the three of them on the list. Um, they all have stacked teams, and they're all getting as much as you possibly could out of them. I don't really know how to rank them, to be honest, but I think they deserve shout-outs because they're all clearly good coaches. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I have one of those guys on my list, and that's Sheldon Keefe. And I think there might be some bias with just how much I see the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, but yeah, the, like they're tops, they're sixth in um, expected goals and very high up there. I believe seventh in Corsi four as well. And again, like they have yeah, a they're good first arm. in uh, XG at even strength score venue adjusted. Yeah, so Girl. like the, like the, the Leafs are just dominating teams. Or sorry, they, yeah, and they're they're third in expected goals for percentage as well. So like they're just dominating teams. That's why I have them a little step ahead. Uh, obviously, Keith and Bednar are great coaches, but like the Colorado roster too is so stacked. Where it's like I almost feel bad for Bednar because he could do all the right things, and I'm still not giving him a coach of the year vote because yeah, the, the roster is now so good. Where it's like I like yeah, most people could I would hope be able to handle this roster to a certain degree, you know. Yeah, like I'm thinking me and you would at least go 500 with the Avalanche <laughs> roster. Yeah, where it's like, yeah, okay, if I can play uh, Kale McCarr and uh, Devon Taves and Sam Gerrard for 90% of my game, I think I'm going to be okay, right? But Yeah, you'll be fine. And then all you have is McKinnon and Rantanen and Kadri and all them to score your goals. And- exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, that's all. I, I keep it three. I just think that um, – uh, this Toronto team too, it's like they, everything. And again, this is definitely where some of the bias comes in where I like live in around in Toronto. I I've seen how many times, you know, um, but they just kind of bounce back from everything and the way they've been approaching things. Like they won, they won, what it was a 14, two and two on a stretch. 
And then the first time they lost, like the first time they lost two in a row, he was like, we really got to snap out of this. This is pathetic. It's like, you know, he doesn't actually mean that, but you can tell that he is not letting off the gas. It's not like, oh, well, we're, we're third in a good division. That's good enough for us. He wants to win. And, you know, this team is getting pushed towards that. And you can tell the coach and he's just actively like uh, even the uh, Kasha and Bunting thing with Matthews. That's a good thing. And I think that's shown growth from even last year where he refused to take Marner off of Matthews wing in the playoffs. So um, yeah, yeah, I liked what I've seen from Keith so far enough to put him three. He could be four. I think you could switch him and Cassie pretty easily too. Um, especially just seeing where the teams are in the standings amongst each other and even in the expected goals and stuff like that. But um, yeah, great. I think he's done a great job so far. Yeah. hundred percent. And I don't know the last time we've seen such like a homogenous group at the top. Like the league, like I said, the Leafs are, if you score and venue adjust at even strength for evolving hockey, the Leafs are first in expected goals for percentage. If they play one mediocre game, they could be like sixth when this podcast comes out. Yeah, like there is a huge conference is so tight. Leafs, yeah. Bruins, Flames, Panthers, Penguins, Lightning, Hurricanes, Avs, like they're all just so good yeah golden knights are right in there too and then you know step down you get the wild capitals predators for 11 12 and 13 like yeah i considered the king's coach i did too they're, they're playing really well like there's no disputing that um it's no, just like the, i kind of forgot it was todd mcclellan to be honest until like <laughs> doing this but yeah that, that is very very fair um who did you have th- at three at three i had brendan moore yeah that's fair i i didn't include him either and like there's another one where it's like i couldn't argue like i, I can't really argue with them at three yeah they're just uh, running like a well-oiled machine um he has been a little lucky with that goaltending with freddie but like Still, he's, they've clearly got that team running perfectly. I think Brindamore has a little less talent to work with than the top teams, like then Keith does and Cooper and Bednar. Definitely, yeah. I think definitely in that top tier, I think they're just a slight below it. But they did, they do have a lot of depth as well, which is uh, something that goes underrated, I think, sometimes when people are talking about Carolina. But, well, 100%. But, yeah, no, they, he, is, uh, he is an amazing coach, and he's pushing all the right buttons for sure. Um Number two, I had Daryl Sutter here. Yeah, uh, I had Sutter too as well. This is not one I ever thought I was going to have, to be honest. I thought he was going to be a coach of the year candidate for actual coach of the year. I did not think that like it would be justified. But again, he's turned an absolutely abysmal Flames team. He's getting the most out of gun, Johnny Goudreau, and they're playing much better defensively. The team is fourth in expected goals at 54.97%. And again, one or two good games from them and – one or two bad games from Florida or Boston, and they're in first. Very easy. Yeah, without question. So, like, it's just, yeah, they, they've done a great job. Um, you know, and it's not even like he's getting, like, the turnaround with Calgary. They're not getting, like, amazing goaltending. Like, Markstrom's been fine, but he's got, he has a bunch of shutouts, but he hasn't been saving, like, he's 12th in goal saved above expected, and I want to say, like, seven, seventh and uh, sixth in goal saved above average. So, like, he's just been... A really solid goalie, but that's all they've needed because he's turned the, the team around, you know? Exactly. And like, like Markstrom has been great, but they're also one of the best defensive teams in the league. So they're, they're making an all right. They're making a good goalie look like elite or whatever. Kind of thing. Yeah. And they're doing this really, I thought they were really going to miss Giordano and they just haven't yeah. really skipped a beat. They've been like way better than they were last <laughs> yeah. year. Yeah. Worse. 
in terms of like war added probably. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's absolutely, he, he was number two for me. Was he two for you too? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I wonder if we're going to have the same number one here again. I think we might. Sullivan? But there is, yes. So okay. I didn't have Florida's coach. I think Mike Sullivan is the winner of this award and nobody else belongs even close. I agree. I, I think, you know, I started when I was doing the list, there was like a, the group obviously of six or seven guys where it's like, oh, this is pretty tough. But I was like, Sullivan's got to be one. The fact that this team is 54% expected goals up there in Corsi 4% as well. And have just not to say the float, but competing for the division title. And they didn't have Malkin until about four games ago. And they didn't have Crosby for most of the year either. Like Sullivan just randomly has Evan Rodriguez playing at like a 90 fucking point pace. Like what is yeah. going on? Like look up Mike Matheson's stats this year if you're doubting Mike Sullivan as the as the leader. Like just everything he's done. The team has been amazing despite the fact that both their MVPs have missed like half the season. Yeah, 100%. And for the Florida one, yeah, I didn't I didn't have Andrew Burnett either, um, who is the interim head coach right now. Part of the reason I didn't is just because I don't like the team really didn't doesn't like didn't do much from him and him to Glenville. Like there've been two coaches and they've been equally as good. Maybe you could argue Burnett deserves some more because the, the Quenville thing was obviously massive news and uh, Florida just really didn't miss a beat going from Quenville to him. But I don't know, like for, for, for me with him, it was just, he was obviously right in that mix, that second tier uh, on the outside and someone had him in the top three, that's fine. But uh, yeah, for me, Sullivan is the undisputed winner of this award. And if this keeps up, you know, if they keep playing like this and they, if they're top two in their division, like I think he should probably win it by the end of the year too. Oh, a hundred percent. And similar with Florida, like I'm prepared to be wrong on this because I don't watch Florida play every night, but unless somebody can point me to like a specific change that Burnett has made where it's like, Oh, they used to use this four check. Now they use this one from Quenville because from what I understand, they haven't really changed anything systemically. I don't think he deserves a ton of credit obviously there's value in not screwing it up but like to be put up against the best i would think i would like to see something distinct that you've changed when you had the blueprint of maybe the best coach of all time to work with exactly so um yeah i have two i guess that's uh, three awards we agree on out of four right now uh for number one at least that's uh rare it feels like we're usually different here i think this one could be different though We'll see. The Calder Trophy. Um, this one will probably be different. Okay, so I already have an honorable mention because I was not freaking putting him in my top three, and that's my good <laughs> I have him in top three. <laughs> Statistically, he is probably top three. I'm not putting a 26, and this is not a trial. I'm not putting a 26-year-old in my top three. That yeah. is the stupidest thing. Uh, like, no, putting one thing in your top three is both the technically correct thing to do and being incredibly difficult for the sake of being difficult. <laughs> yes. So he is my honorable mention because I'm not putting him there. Uh, and then, so it, it's him. And then I think there's four others for the three spots or so for you, there'll be four others for the two spots um, between. Uh, well, actually, you know, one of them, because I feel like for me, I feel like it's a lock for normal voting that there's three people here. Um, but I have a different one in the top three as well. And you might as well hear my other honorable mention. This is going to surprise people. I think is Lucas Raymond. Yeah, I had him five. 
Yeah. Okay. So, and, and I think like, again, like I, from most of what I've seen, he's been one, if he hasn't been one, he's been two. Uh, he's just taken, he hasn't been driving play at a phenomenal rate. Even his points have taken a step down, still having a phenomenal season. Don't get me wrong. Like he, he's still amazing. Um, I, I was looking at, so for this one, I wasn't sure uh, for this and like the Selkie, I wasn't really sure, you know, like, how do I gauge this? So one of the things I used was uh, Dom's at the uh, uh, cards from the athletic, the player cards. And um, for me, like, it was just like Raymond was the lowest out of the, the four under 26 rookies that I have on my list here. So for me, that's why he sits at uh, an honorable mention on the outside. Yeah. And that makes sense. Cause like, obviously you're the Red Wings. You care about star power coming from these guys. And he's shown the important flashes of star power. So the Red Wings are, and should be thrilled with this season. But like, in terms of who's actually been the best, like he's been pretty awful at driving play and has some pretty favorable percentages and at 600 minutes of career even strength time on ice i'm not ready to say that's purely skill even though he's obviously a talented player yeah so um let's go with three then who did you have uh, in your top three starting it off i had a uh, cider me too Man, I wonder if we're going to have the same top three here or not. I also had cider. Because I have Mike Bunt in there. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, cider's been great. Again, like, it's kind of the same story uh, as Raymond, where they both started just so hot and cooled off a little bit. But cider, I think, is still controlling play, at least to a little more degree. And and again, like, even Dom's player cards liked him more than uh, they liked Raymond. So... Um, you know, I think they had right, right now he's got Raymond on pace to be like a middle six forward kind of thing, just outside the top uh, top tier. And then, but on uh, the blue line for um, Cider, he's got him uh, on pace as, or like he's pre- playing as a top pair defenseman. So like a number two, basically, I think you could say. And, and that is uh, phenomenal for a 20 year old. Yeah, which makes sense. And I, I graded on a curve a little bit for him. I, I could hear an argument even for him, like one, if you want to grade on this curve, because like this list in its honorable mentions are almost entirely forwards. Even if you rank like the top eight players, it's literally all forwards in him. And maybe uh, Nadelkovic. Pardon? And maybe uh, Nadelkovic. He's technically a rookie. Too. Oh, yeah, true, true. But as to, in terms of skaters, like he's just lapping the rest of the defensemen. He hasn't done anything particularly insane, but he's been legitimately good in all aspects of the ice, which is super, super impressive for a, what is he, 20-year-old defenseman? Yeah, and I don't know who he plays with, but here are Detroit's left-handed D right now. Nick Letty, Danny DeKaiser, Jordan Ostrel, and Mark Stahl. Yeah, it doesn't matter which one of them he plays with. His, <laughs> his season's impressive as fuck. <laughs> I'm going to say, so take your pick of those. His partner kind of sucks. Like, um, and like yeah. it's not like he's passing to amazing forwards either he's a little bit behind some guys in like expected gar and goals above replacement but there's a team multiplier on everybody's numbers and he does not get nearly as much help up from the team multiplier as a lot of other guys because his team sucks yeah yeah absolutely um all right please tell me two is where you had bunting don't tell me you gave him <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give him one. Okay, I kind of okay. wanted to. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so two is Bunting. Uh, again, like Bunting's having a phenomenal season. And like by the definition of the award, he would be on my ballot too. Um, yep. 
Like he, he's playing top line. And like, he's, I think he's exceeded even our expectations. Like by Wait, a lot. I thought he was like a cool signing for 700 K or whatever, but he's been like legitimately good at everything. He's, he's not been, a superstar, but he's, he's a really good player. He's been what Zach Hyman brought to that line. Like literally. Yeah, he's literally been Zach Hyman. And this rookie crop has been horrible. So being literally Zach Kyman is honestly probably the most impressive thing we've seen in this entire rookie crop, but he's 26. So he's just not going to get votes, which is fair enough. Yeah. I think he was fifth in the NHL one too. And again, like, yeah, like it's just, it's sad. And like, for those who were like, well, were you mad when Panarin won it? Yes. Yes, I was. I, didn't, I thought it was even stupider that Panarin won after winning like five years or like five years in the KHL or whatever. But yeah, at least Panarin was like one of the best players, like the best player on his team. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Bunting's what? Like the Bunting. sixth best forward on his team? Fifth best forward? Bunting's like usually the fifth or sixth most important person in the top six, uh, <laughs> depending on how it looks. He's been the third most important on his line for the vast majority of the season. So, yeah. Not, but he's still been great. Oh, yeah. Especially for like seven, like literally, they let Hyman walk for what he gets, six and a half, six. Like they, yeah. they, it was five five. I mean, yeah, something like that. They replaced Hyman for literally like one fifth, one sixth of the price. And for league he is men. doing yeah, league men, and he is doing just as good of and that's not even a slight on Hyman. Hyman's having a good year too, but it's just like that's how much value bunting is provided on that contract. Yeah. Yeah, five five five. You're right. Um, all right. My number two is what most people don't have here. I think this is just I'm really thinking you're probably we might agree on number one here. I have Seth Jarvis number two. I have him one. Ooh, interesting. Okay, so you left Zegers off your list then. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, I could go anyway with this. Uh, Zegers, the, the, the point totals are nice. I, I do think Zegers is getting a little overhyped. Like, he did a between-the-legs thing against the Leafs last night. Missed the net by, like, literally seven feet. And, like, Twitter was going nuts about it. It was like, he just gave up a scoring chance to go between the legs and missed by, like, seven feet. Let's relax here. Yeah, um, but I love I, and his highlights are fun. Yes, they are, and like again, but um, yeah. So from for me, and let me just try and pull up what I had. Uh, I got to write these down sometimes, but I uh, um, with Jarvis. I anyways, like guys, I think Jarvis is the odd man out in terms of most people's uh, like non stats people's stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, you. It's his fancies that really carry him. Yeah, and I just like to, to me, I, I think it's almost a little unfair to him because I mean you can look at it both ways. Yes, he is absolutely on the best team out of well, I mean maybe not for you because you have Michael Bunting, but out of <laughs> out of Detroit, Anaheim, um, uh, yeah, sorry, out of Detroit and Anaheim, like he is clearly Carolina is clearly the best team, but because of that, he's also not quite getting as much um, opportunity as you know like. Raymond is getting a first line opportunity playing with Larkin and stuff like that. Uh, Seth Jarvis has been playing on the third line for a lot of it and been just dominating that competition. Yeah. And it's, it's cool to see. Yeah, it really is. And I was going to say, yeah, like it's, it's a bit of a, that's kind of another reason. I don't know if I could have been one because I think our group chat might've uh, banned me if I had him at number one, they would have, they would have totally thought that was a troll, but uh, if you have it, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought about it. Like, Zegris has kind of got the cider thing going for him from like an underlying perspective. Obviously watching Zegris, he's like ridiculously fun to watch and super flashy, but he's just been like 
quietly good at everything rather than super insane at one aspect of the game, even though he's shown those obviously high end flashes. Yeah, exactly. And so like the reason I put him one was again, like it's kind of when I, you know, you can compare him and Jarvis and how much chance does Jarvis get, but like, you know, it's been goaltending that's driven Anaheim forward, but like Zegers being an out, like an actual first line player has been so massive for this team. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, I'm totally here for an argument that if you flip them, like Jarvis wouldn't be able to be a one C on Anaheim right now. Like I'm, I'm more than willing to be wrong on that one, to be honest. Yeah. And again, like it's not taking anything away from Jarvis season. Like he's been absolutely amazing. His player card for Dom stuff is like off the, like it's like all yellow or like or all gold. But yeah, again, it's been, it's hard to tell because it's like, well, he's killing lower rated, uh, lower rated minutes with really good teammates. Um, you know, can he do that when he takes a step up? And there's only one way to find out. I'm sure Carolina will do that eventually, but um, you know, for our exercise, it just makes things a little harder. Right. Yeah, 100%. Okay, let's rock through the Salky real quick. This has been a long episode. We're approaching hour 20 here. Uh, the Salky, to me, is the hardest one to do just because, like, how like defense is volatile as it is. How do you watch defense? Um, yeah. Right? Like, this one is like, just got to be purely, not literally purely statistical, because obviously some people can have intelligent eye test defense opinions, but those people are fewer and far between than most people would like to imagine and probably half as common as most TV analysts would like to imagine, because I'm sure all of them think they are one of those few people, and most of them are probably not. Yes, absolutely. Um, I guess before we go in, do you put points into this at all? Uh, No. I think there is value in, like, time on ice. Like, a lot of times, the regression models will really love somebody who plays, like, half as many minutes as the other guys, and, like, I think we can use our intuition and priors to say that like Michael Raffle isn't the best defensive player in the league this year. It's the same reason as like why Valerie Natushkin isn't better than Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, exactly. Like there is <laughs> when standard errors are this large, which you can't see them, but make no mistake, there are huge standard errors, especially around the defensive numbers. Like the prior informed priors mean a lot more. And Absolutely. like sample eyes obviously too because then you're yeah. more confident in the outcome at least yeah i have no problem with it being mostly just first line players that win the selkie it's just it's the fact that it's more of the couturier even if he just because he put up 80 points instead of actually having no, a good this season <laughs> yeah versus yeah. like a deno or something who was actually really good defensively last year so this year like i have three guys who you know that's two especially where people are going to be like oh my god what the hell but um quick my honorable mention uh, just by a purely like evolving hockey standpoint, uh, our Terry Lekkinen has been unreal defensively this year. Yeah, he's um, been fantastic. Again, that's uh, more of a time on ice thing. He's got I mean, a part of it is a time on ice argument too. He's got a hundred less than anyone else even near him. The next one is Evgeny Svechnikov, who is seventh, and he's got three hundred and sixty-one. Our Lekkinen is at five thirty-eight, and then most people are in the seven hundreds around him. So uh, I didn't have him on the ballot, but I thought it was cool. Uh, and then the other one again, I want to shout out Tim Stutzla, who has actively just been good at defense this year, which is cool. Didn't have him on the ballot or anything, but. Uh, Fun little one, anyways. And then my my fourth, like the one who I actually want to give an honorable mention, is Joe Pavelski. Uh, again, playing pretty well defensively, really good offensively too. Like he's been such an important player. I'm really curious to see what happens at the deadline with him, but he didn't crack my top three. Yeah, I like Pavelski a lot. He like the Twins have him as like one of the best players in the league. Period. They, their model loves him, like just in general. 
Yeah, which is yeah, good for him. Yeah. Uh, do you have any honorable mentions? I had a couple. Uh, Marshan on that Boston Bruins penalty kill. Plus, he's been good at uh, good enough at even strength defense too. Is fantastic. Um, I had Evan Rodriguez as an honorable mention and Anthony Sorelli. Sorelli was on my ballot. I had him at three. I wasn't yeah. really sure who to put as a third, but yeah, I, I, so I, I snuck him in there. Sorelli's five-on-five numbers are really good. Mm-hmm. And you know, an expanded uh, role this year too, which is really important because a lot of people kind of shot on him or shot on the Twins model for really liking him back when he was playing on the third line or whatever. But that was yeah, time on ice. Absolutely. And he's, you know, like his defensive metrics by uh, Dom's player card is unreal. Like they're star level top tier. Uh, the only two I could find when taking a quick search are the two guys I have ahead of him. Um, but yeah, he's, he's been very, very good in a much bigger role this year for the, the Lightning. Yeah. Uh, who do you have at three? At three, I had Ryan O'Reilly. He was another one that I had just, he was my five, four or five. Like it was him and Pavelski that uh, I was between Sorelli, Pavelski and O'Reilly as who I was going to have as my number three. Yeah, that makes sense. Ryan O'Reilly, like we were saying, like other guys have similar like RAPM XGAs to him or whatever, but Ryan O'Reilly's done it for freaking ever. He plays top competition. Like the prior there is so strong for me. Plus he never takes penalties. He's like maybe the best forward in the league at that which is very helpful because one underrated way to play defense is don't put your team on the penalty kill. Absolutely. He, it's a really a shame that the NHL is not going to the Olympics. Cause I, the more I think about it, he would have been a lock, I think for fourth line center. Yeah. Like they could just have, they could play, make a fourth line with like him and Couturier and stone or something like that, that literally starts a hundred percent of their shifts. In the <laughs> yeah. And like Armstrong was GM too. Like he was fully going and it would have been so cool to see him just play defense against the world's best, yeah. you know? Yeah, like you could literally have Connor McDavid with a 0% defensive zone start percentage with like McKinnon on his wing because you just bury those guys in D zone starts and they'd still probably win their matchups against every team, but like maybe the States of Sweden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I wonder if we're going to have the same top two, maybe switched around though. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think who we do, might. Who do you have a two? Patrice Bertrand. I have him one and I definitely, I definitely think we switched around the other two then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had Matthews two, Bergeron one. Yeah. Matthews, um, like Bergeron's a better penalty killer. And I think his five on five numbers are slightly, very better. slightly better. His even strength defense from evolving hockey is slightly better. And his player card from Dom decision is also better in defensive aspect. They're very close though. Like I think if you wanted to argue the quality of teammate, probably sways Bergeron a little more too. I would, uh, definitely listen to that argument because it's not like Mitch Marner is a God defensively or anything like that. Exactly. And like Marner's good, but Marshawn is clearly like an entirely different beast. And then for me, I thought their defensive numbers are basically within error bars of each other, but Matthews is like one of the best players in the league at not taking penalties. And Patrice Bergeron takes a shitload of them. So his defense is like, or like the team's penalty kill is kind of cleaning up Bergeron's mess because he's one of the guys who takes a ton of penalties. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I don't even know. Um, yeah, that, that's totally fair. I was going to say, I don't even know. Does Bergeron, how much does he penalty kill? I, I didn't look into that. That's another interesting thing too, where it's like. Do you think people need to kill penalties? I was just about that. I don't, think they, I don't think they need to. I think it's a boost if they do effectively. 
Yeah. Was that well, was, did Stone kill penalties back in the day? There was somebody really prominent that never did. And I can't remember who always got knocked for it. Uh Stone, but especially by the end, he definitely did. Yeah. But um, yeah, because that's even like a thing with Matthews, too, is he doesn't kill penalties, right? So people are like, well, how can it be selfie? Doesn't he mean Marner's the one killing the penalties? It's like, yes, Marner's out there killing penalties because he's got a bunch of speed. Like, that's yeah. the reason. But like Matthews is good defensively. I'm sure he could kill penalties, but because the thing to me is why you shouldn't have to is the last thing I want is Austin Matthews breaking his wrist because he blocked a shot on the penalty kill. Exactly. Like even if the Leafs penalty kill would be, you know, one third of an XGA better with Matthews on it, it's still probably not worth it to use him on it. So because of who he is, so it's kind of tough to hold it against him, right? Yeah, like exactly. let's be honest. If you're Austin Matthews or you're Sidney Crosby and you can, or you're Connor McDavid, you could probably figure out how to kill penalties well because you've figured out how to do everything else in hockey well. But if I was the coach, I wouldn't ask you to do it either. Yeah, absolutely. And like, even the other thing too is like, I think part of the reason I like Barner on the penalty kill is even if he's not the best in his own end, he's got so much speed to burn the other way. Matthews isn't slow, but it's not like his game is just beating guys in a foot race either, right? Like, no, he's not just like raw speed. He's obviously a great skater, but yeah, um, Matthews is one. This is probably a time to conversation. We're going real long here, but the thing with Matthews being elite defensively is anytime I watch him, I never see that. Like, and again, it's really hard to like identify good defense. So, and that's why I'm like, I'm not trying to say that he's not or anything like that. Like, I will fully believe the defensive stats before I do my eye test. But like, every time I watch him, and, and maybe part of it's because it's just like three on three and or near the end of the game, he's tired anyways. But like, there's a lot of just like, it kind of seems like he's floating around, but he just always seems to find his way into the right spot. You know what it is, I think. So, I've heard. Andrew Berkshire talk about how like sport logics numbers loved him defensively, even when he was like a rookie. And I think what it is, like, I believe, like, I think you're right. We're standing on an Island in like zone coverage without the puck. I still don't believe Austin Matthews is like a top three player in the world at it, but he's just such a puck vacuum that shots, chances, and goals just don't go the other way because the puck just is so attracted to his stick kind of thing. He's got that Kopitar, like where he's just like a takeaway and loose puck recovery god, which yeah, that you definitely see. He is really good at that like, little stick lift, take the puck and go the other way with it. That's like I think he does that all the time. Yeah, and that that I think is the main driver behind the defensive metrics, where it's, it could probably be lumped into transition more than defense because of two thirds of the time it's not going to happen in the defensive zone, but like. It's just the puck is on his stick, so it just leads to no shots and goals against kind of thing, right? Yeah, and that may, that, that totally makes sense too. But um, yeah, there's our awards. Um, long, long podcast, but that's okay. Um, as always, you can check my stuff out at lastwordonhockey.com. I did a piece probably a week and a half ago, I guess now, on Eric Branchum. Um, I'm going to do a think a piece maybe on Nick, the Nick Holden signing and maybe on something called White returning. I'm trying to get into writing a little more. Uh, you can find all my stuff, though, on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. I play podcasts, uh, writing, everything there. You can find Chase's work at actionnetwork.com and Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.